chapters twenty seven and twenty eight of the avenger by e phillips oppenheim this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tom weiss chapter twenty seven the spy wrayson found himself a few minutes later alone with the baron who with some solemnity rose and took the chair opposite to him conversation between them however languished for the baron spoke only in monosyllables and his attitude gave wrayson the idea that he viewed his presence at the chateau with disfavor with stiff punctiliousness he begged wrayson to try some wonderful burgundy and passed a box of cigarettes he did not however open any topic of conversation and wrayson embarrassed in his choice of subjects by the fact that any remark he could make might sound like an attempt at gratifying his curiosity remained also silent in a very few minutes the baron rose you will take another glass of wine sir he asked wrayson rose too with alacrity and bowed his refusal they recrossed the great hall and entered the drawing-room louise and madame de mebain were talking earnestly together in a corner and from the look that the latter threw at him as they entered wrayson was convinced that in some way he was concerned with the subject of their conversation it was a look deliberate and scrutinizing in a sense doubtful and yet not unkindly behind it all wrayson felt that there was something which he could not understand there was something of the mystery in those dark sad eyes which seemed to pervade the whole atmosphere of the place and the lives of these people louise rose as he approached and motioned him to take her vacated place madame de mebain would like to talk to you for a few moments she said quietly afterwards will you come on to the terrace she swept away through the open window and was at once followed by the baron mademoiselle de courcelles was playing very softly on a grand piano in an unseen corner of the apartment wrayson and his hostess were alone she turned towards him with a faint smile she spoke with great deliberation but very clearly and there was in her voice some hidden quality indefinable in words yet both musical and singularly attractive i shall not keep you very long mr wrayson she said louise has been talking to me about you she is happy i think to have found a friend so chivalrous and so discerning wrayson smiled doubtfully as he answered it is very little that i have been able to do for her he said my complaint is that she will not give me the opportunity of doing more you are too modest madame de mebain said slowly louise has told me a good deal i think that you have been a very faithful friend wrayson bowed out but said nothing if madame de mebain had anything to say to him he preferred to afford her the opportunity of an attentive silence louise and i madame de mebain continued were school friends so you see that i have known her all my life she has had her troubles as have i only mine are a righteous judgment upon me and hers she has done nothing to deserve it is the burden of others which she fastens upon her back wrayson felt instinctively that his continued silence was what she most desired she was speaking to him but her eyes had travelled far away it was as though she had come into touch with other and greater things louise has not told me everything she continued there is much that she will not confess so it is necessary mr wrayson that i ask you a question do you care for her 
"'I do,' Wrayson answered simply. "'You wish to marry her?' "'Tomorrow, if she would.' Madame de Mebain leaned a little forward. Her cheeks were still entirely colourless, but some spark of emotion glittered in her full dark eyes. "'You will be alone with her presently. Try and persuade her to marry you at once. There is nothing but an obscure scruple between you. Remember that always.' "'It is a scruple which up till now has been too strong for me,' Wrayson remarked quietly. She measured him with her eyes, as though making a deliberate estimate of his powers. "'A man,' she said, "'should be able to do much with the woman whom he cares for, the woman who cares for him.' "'If I could believe that,' he murmured. She shrugged her shoulders slightly. He understood the gesture. "'You are right,' he declared, with more confidence. "'I will do my best.' She moved her head slowly, a sign of assent, also of dismissal. He rose to his feet. "'Louise is on the terrace,' she said. "'Will you give me your arm? The Baron is there also. We will join them.' They stepped through the high French windows onto the carpeted terrace. It seemed to Raisin that they had passed into a veritable land of enchantment. The service of dinner had been a somewhat leisurely affair, and the hour was already late. The moon was slowly rising behind the trees, but the landscape was at present wrapped in the soft doubtful obscurity of a late twilight. The flowers, with whose perfume the air was faintly fragrant, remained unseen or visible only in blurred outline. The tall trees, whose tops were unstirred by even the slightest breeze, stood out like silent sentinels against the violet sky. Madame de Mebain stopped short upon the threshold of the terrace, with head slightly thrown back and half-closed eyes. "'Suzanne was right,' she murmured. "'There is peace here. Peace, if only it would last.' The baron came hastily forward. He seemed to be eyeing Rayson a little doubtfully. Madame de Mebain pointed down the avenue. "'I think,' she said, "'that it would be pleasant to walk for a little way. Give me your arm, baron. We will go first. Mr. Rayson will follow with Louise. They descended the steps, crossed the lawn, and through a gate into a broad, grass-grown avenue cut through the woods to the road. Rayson at first was silent, and Louise seemed a little nervous. More than once she started at the sound of a rabbit scurrying through the undergrowth. There was something a little mysterious about the otherwise profound silence of the impenetrable woods. Even their footsteps fell noiselessly upon the spongy turf. Rayson spoke at last. They had fallen sufficiently far behind the others to be out of earshot. "'Do you know what Madame de Mebain has been saying to me?' he asked. Louise turned her head a little. There was the faintest flicker of a smile about her lips. "'I cannot imagine,' she declared, looking once more straight ahead. "'She has been inciting me to bold deeds,' Rayson said. How should you like to be carried off in medieval fashion, married, willing or unwilling? Is that what Madame de Mebain has been recommending you to do? she asked. He nodded. Yes, and I am thinking of taking her advice, he said coolly. She laughed quietly, yet his ears were quick, and he caught the note of sadness which a moment later crept into her eyes. It would solve so much that is troublesome, wouldn't it? she remarked. May I ask if that has been the sole topic of your conversation? Absolutely, Louise, dear. She turned a little towards him. His voice was compelling. The fingers of her hand closed readily enough upon his, 
and the soft touch thrilled him. "'You have some fancy in your brain,' he said in a low, passionate whisper. "'It is nothing but a fancy, I am assured. You have heard what your own friend has advised. You don't doubt that I love you, Louise, that I want to make you happy.' She leaned a little towards him. A sudden wave of abandonment seemed to have swept over her. He drew her face to his and kissed her with a sudden passion. Her lips met his, soft and unresisting. Already he felt the song of triumph in his heart. She was his. She could never be anybody else's now. Very softly she disengaged herself. The other two were still in sight, and already the curve of the moon was creeping over the trees. Don't spoil it she murmured. Don't talk of tomorrow or the future. We have tonight. There followed minutes of which he took no count, and then of a sudden her hand clutched his arm. Listen, she whispered hoarsely. He came suddenly down to earth. They were walking in the shadow of the trees close to the side of the wood, and their footsteps upon the soft turf were noiseless. Wrayson almost held his breath as he leaned towards the dark chaos of the thickly planted trees. Only a few yards away he could distinctly hear the dry snapping of twigs. Someone was keeping pace with them inside the wood. Now he could see the stooping figure of a man creeping stealthily along. A little exclamation broke from Louise's lips. "'It is a spy, after all,' she muttered. "'They said that every entrance to the place was guarded.' Raisin had time to take only one quick step toward the wood when a shrill cry rang out upon the still night. Then there was the trampling underfoot of bushes and undergrowth, the sound of men's voices, one English and threatening, the other guttural and terrified. Madame de Mebain and her escort had paused and were looking back. Louise was moving towards them, and Rayson was on the point of entering the wood. Into the little semicircle formed by these four people there suddenly strode Rayson's friend from the inn, grasping by the collar a shrinking and protesting figure in a much disheveled tweed suit. We were right, Mr. Rayson, the former remarked quietly. This fellow has been spying round all day. You had better ask your friends what they wish done with him. End of chapter 27 Chapter 28 The Scene in the Avenue There followed a few minutes of somewhat curious silence. At the first sound of the voice of the man who had made so startling an appearance in their midst, a cry only half suppressed had broken from Madame de Mebain's lips. She had moved impulsively a little forward. The moon, visible now from over the treetops, was shining faintly upon her absolutely colorless face and dilated eyes. For some reason she seemed terror-stricken, both she and Louise, who was clinging now to her arm. Neither of them seemed even to have glanced at the cowering figure of the man who had relapsed now into a venomous silence. Both of them were gazing at his captor and upon their faces was the strangest expression which Rayson had ever seen on any human features. It was as though they stood upon the edge of the world and peered downwards into the forbidden depths, as though they suddenly found themselves in the presence of a thing so wonderful that thought and speech alike were chained. Rayson involuntarily followed the direction of their rapt gaze. The stranger certainly presented a somewhat formidable appearance. He was standing upon slightly higher ground, and the massive proportions of his tall, powerful figure stood out with almost startling distinctiveness against the empty background. His face was half in the shadow, 
yet it seemed to Wrayson that some touch of the mystery which was quivering in the drawn face of the two women was also reflected in his dimly seen features. Something indefinable was in the air, something so mysterious and wonderful that voices seemed stricken dumb and life itself suspended. An owl flew slowly out from the wood with ponderous flapping of wings and sailed over their heads. Everyone started. Madame de Mebain gave a half-stifled shriek. The strain was over. Louise and she were half-sobbing now in one another's arms. "'I will leave this fellow to be dealt with as the owners of this chateau may direct,' the stranger said stiffly, turning to Wrayson. "'You can tell them all that we know about him.' He turned on his heel, but the baron laid his hand upon his shoulder and peered into his face inquisitively. "'We should like to know,' he said, whom we have to thank for the capture of this intruder. I am a stranger here, and to all of you was the quiet answer. You owe me no thanks. I have seen something of this fellow before, he added, pointing to his captive, who was now standing sullenly in the center of the group. I felt sure that he was up to no good, and I watched him. For the first time the fair-haired little tourist, who had been dragged so submissively into their midst, suffered a gleam of intelligence to appear in his face. He changed his position so that he could see his captor better. Ah, he muttered, you have seen me before, eh? And I, you, perhaps. Let me think. Was it? Rayson's friend leaned a little forwards, and with the careless ease of one flicking away a fly, he struck the speaker with the back of his hand across the face. The blow was not a particularly severe one, but its victim collapsed upon the turf. Look here, his assailant said, standing for a moment over him. You can go on and finish your sentence if you like. I only want to warn you that if you do, I will break every bone in your body, one by one, the next time we meet. Go on, if you think it worth while. The man on the ground was dumb because he was afraid, but the same thought presented itself to all of them. The baron, who was least of all affected, expressed it. Perhaps, sir, he said, you will not object to telling me, the baron de Courcelles, whom we have to thank for the discovery of this intruder. Rayson's friend edged a little away. There was no response in his manner to the courtesy with which the baron had sought to introduce himself. "'You have nothing to thank me for,' he said shortly. "'My name would be quite unknown to you, and I am leaving this part of the world at once. Permit me to wish you good evening.' He had already turned on his heel when Madame de Bain's voice arrested him. Clear and peremptory, the first words which had passed her lips since the surprise had come to them seemed somehow to introduce a new note into an atmosphere from which an element of tragedy had never been lacking. "'Please stop!' he turned and faced her with obvious unwillingness. She stretched out her hand as though forbidding him to go, but addressed at the same time the two men, apparently gamekeepers, who had suddenly emerged from the wood. "'Monsieur Robert,' she said, "'we have caught this man trespassing in the woods here, notwithstanding the precautions which I understood you would take him.' Take him away at once, if you please. I trust that you will be able to hand him over to the gendarmes. Monsieur Robert, the steward of the estates, an elderly man whose face was twitching with anxiety, stepped forward with a low bow. Madame, he said, we had word of this intrusion. We were even now upon the track of this ruffian. There was another also who climbed the wall. Ah, I see him, the Englishman there. He is our friend, Madame de Medbain said. You must not interfere with him as Madame Wills. Come, you rascal, he added, gripping his prisoner by the shoulder. We will show you what it means to climb over walls 
and trespass on the estate of Madame la Baronne. Come, then. The intruder accepted the situation with the most philosophical calm. Only one remark he ventured to make as he was led off. It is not hospitable, this. I only wish to see the chateau by moonlight. Rayson's fellow guest at the Lion d'Or turned to follow them. The fellow might try to escape, he muttered. But again Madame de Mabane called to him. You must not go away, she said. Yet. Then she moved forward with smooth, deliberate footsteps, yet with something almost supernatural in her white face and set, dilated eyes. It was as though she were looking once more through the windows of the world, as though she could see the figures of dead men playing once more their part in the game of life. And she looked always at the Englishman. Listen, she said, there is something about you, sir, which I do not understand. Who are you, and where do you come from? He made no answer. Only he held out his hand as though to keep her away, and drew a little further back. "'You shall not escape,' she continued, the words leaving her lips, with a sort of staccato incisiveness, crisp and emotional. "'No, you are here, and you shall answer. Who are you who come here to mock us all? Because it is a dead man who speaks with your voice, and looks with your eyes. You will not dare to say that you are Duncan Fitzmaurice?' The figure in the shadows seemed to loom larger and larger. He was no longer shrinking away. "'I know nothing of the man of whom you speak,' he declared. I am a wanderer. I have no name and no home. Madame de Mabane reeled and would have fallen. Then for a moment events seemed to leap forward. White and fainting, she lay in the arms of the man who had sprung to her succor. Yet through her half-opened eyes there flashed a strange and wonderful light, a light of passionate and amazing contempt. He held her almost roughly for several moments, yet his lips were pressed to hers with a tenderness almost indescribable. No one of the little group moved. Rayson felt simply that events, impossible for him to understand, had marched too quickly for him. He stood like a man in a dream whose limbs are rigid, whose brain alone is working. And the others, too, seemed to have become part of a silent and wonderful tableau. For years after Rayson carried with him the memory of those few minutes, the perfume from the woods, faint but penetrating, the shadowy light, the passionate faces of the man and the woman, the woman yielding to a beautiful dream, and the man to a moment of divine madness. Movement, when it came, came from the principal actors in that wonderful scene. Madame de Medvain was alone, supported in Louise's arms. The Englishman's heavy footsteps were already audible, crashing through the undergrowth. Louise pointed to the wood and called out to Rayson, "'Follow him! Don't let him out of your sight! Quick!' Rayson turned and sped down the avenue. When he reached the wall he stood there and waited. Presently Duncan came crashing through the wood and vaulted the wall. Rayson met him in the middle of the hard white road. "'We will walk back to the Lyon d'Or together,' he said calmly. "'I have a few things to say to you.'" End of chapter 28 Recording by Tom Weiss TomsAudiobooks.com